Um, now we're going to pick up with verse 3. Of course, two, those two verses are very powerful verses, very important verses about, um, especially in verse 2, and be, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. And what does that word transform mean, folks? Boy, I, I'm sure... <laughs> butterfly, caterpillar. And what is that? What happens for the caterpillar? Metamorphosis. Thank you. Man, dude, this really discourages me. Uh, all right. Yeah, it means the metamorphosis. It, and, and just the whole thought that we were doing behind that is truthfully, when you become a Christian, you ought to be as much different from where you were before you became a Christian to what you are now. Your goal is to one day be as different as the caterpillar is from the butterfly. Uh, they're totally different. Uh, they've been transformed, and that's what it, what it means. It's a metamorphosis. And so the way you're transformed is by the renewing of your mind. The way you're transformed is by not conforming to the world, not being what the world is, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that's by having the mind of Christ and by the Word of God. And so it's very, very important. Now we're going to pick up at verse 3. In verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man uh, that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to, to every man the measure of faith. And so we're going to begin begin there. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you bless Holy Spirit of God. Guide my mind, my thoughts. Lord, I pray that you please bless now. Please guide us and direct us. And, and Holy Spirit, I yield myself to thee. But Lord, I pray right now that you'd wrap your arms around this place. And in the name of Jesus, that you would protect us. And, and Lord, not let anything be stolen away. Let us clearly understand what you have for us. Please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we're these verses that we're about to take a look at, and I really won't get that far into it, but we're, I kind of look at this as sort of the uh, sermon on, on, the, of the, on the mount of, uh, of the, of the uh, when you see the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels, was this, this is uh, kind of the Sermon on the Mount here of the epistles that, that uh, Romans has here. He's going to give us some really good information here teaching us uh, about how to live and treat each other. But verse 3 here, Paul, through the inspiration, is going to describe the Christian, what he should be in the church, to the Christian, what he should be in the church, how he should live, and how he should treat others in the church. And this is, this is uh, a very important, uh, what he's going to be doing here for us. But in verse 3, God deals with the main issue first, and that's the, the issue of pride of man. And, and it's always an issue. It always creeps in. No matter who we are, uh, we, we've always got to be fighting this, this animal here. It's called pride. Even in the church, we tend to violate Scripture in this area. So God deals with the main issue first, the pride of man. Uh, and, and you say, what area? The area right here is that we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Uh, he says, no, but to, think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. God's making it real clear that in, this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, 
look, we, we don't compare ourselves to anybody else. If we want to make a comparison, we need to compare ourselves to Christ. And always realize where we stand. But comparing ourselves with others, that gives us an opportunity. You can always find somebody beneath you, and you can always find somebody above you. Uh, but God says, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. You know, you say, well, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a, it, it, we do this all the time out uh, so when, and when they say, you know, I think I'll go to heaven, you know, because I, I don't like, I, I don't do like they do out in the street. I don't do like they do, uh, you know, I'm not taking drugs, and I'm not drinking, I'm not doing this. That's comparing yourself with other people. That has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with living for God. Uh, we just don't compare ourselves with other people. Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So if we have contention amongst ourselves, amongst, you know, in family and in, uh, at work, in, in any venue in church, then it's pride that caused that. And God is addressing this immediately here in verse 3. He says in verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Uh, and you say, well, how highly should he think of himself? We are all creations of God. And so nobody's any better than anybody else. And so uh, that's what he's doing right here. But Proverbs 14, 3 says, In the mouth of the foolish is the rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. So he's, again, the mouth of the foolish is the rod of pride. Pride goeth before destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Pride is so destructive, but as much as pride is revealed in thinking you're better or more talented or more capable than, or more intelligent than someone else, it's also revealed in false humility. And uh, this is, is something that we don't think of. We always think of pride thinking we're better than other people. But it's just as prideful to have a false humility. And, and, and by that, I mean it's, it's presented while someone is consumed with self. When you, when you feel like you're humble and you put on a false humility, you can tell there's the test or the thermometer for that is this, is when you look at yourself and you're thinking how humble you are. Then, that, then we got a problem. That, you know who you're thinking about? You're thinking about you. So whether you're thinking about you about how great you are, or you're thinking about you about how lowly you are, you're still thinking about you. And it's all about you. Even with a meek and quiet spirit. She's been telling me she's having a meek spirit. You've been trying to beat that into her lately or something? It ain't working. So, and so uh, she told me she was, she was being meek tonight. Amen. I thought, I'll try anything. Uh, yes. Preach it. Preach it. Okay, I'm preaching it. Hey, I don't know. It's just. <laughs> Pride is so destructive, as I said, but, but the truth is, is that there is also a false humility when we, we go the opposite direction. Whether standing above others or appearing to be below, if the focus in our minds is us, then we are consumed with the wrong person. And that's just something we have to do. And, 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 and honestly, we, we'll, it'll happen. We'll kind of get that attitude of, oh, poor me, and I'm so lowly, and I'm so bad, and I'm so... 
Uh, that's it, you're, you're focused on you. And, and when you're focused on you, that's pride. And so it, we need to get away from that. Uh, you know, I've told for, for years, I've taken young preachers, and uh, I used to teach, uh, they, taught it, they called it homiletics, then they just called it the preaching class, and then they went back to calling it homilet, homiletics again because they found out that most of our guys who were graduating preaching didn't know what the word homiletics meant. So, um, but, uh, so I was teaching homiletics, teaching guys how to preach, and, and, uh, and I really never really taught them how to preach. I tried to get them to do one thing, and that's to get a truth and, and consume a truth. And I said, if you'll burn with that truth, eventually it has to come out the mouth. And so, uh, uh, so but uh, I would tell them, and some, every once in a while, I get guys up there, and they would just be so nervous. You know, I mean, they just, they couldn't get anything out. And I would just stop them, and I'd say, hey, the only time you get that nervous about speaking, you are not consumed with your truth you're consumed with how people perceive you. I said, so forget about how people look at you. I don't care how you preach. Some of you are going to yell loud. Some of you are going to be witty. Some of you are going to have it all detailed out. And some of you are, are going to read it all out. Hey, look, all of you are going to preach different because God made you different. But here's what I need you to do. Get consumed with the truth. And when you're consumed with the truth, you will forget we're even out here. Now, the reasoning that Paul gives, uh, that, the reasoning that Paul gives, that none should think of themselves as better than themselves. And remember, he's talking to Christians now. This this letters to the Christ, to the church is because they were all given. He says, even the faith that was necessary to believe. He says, you're all given the faith that brought you into belief. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? He, he said, don't think of yourself so highly because, you, because you're a Christian and because you were chosen, because you believe, you're a believer in Christ. He said, don't get high-minded high about that. Don't think of yourself so good because even the faith that you had to put in Christ, it was given to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't get it. And that's what he's saying in the Scripture. God gave them the faith, and eternally they are all equal, for they all started with the same faith, and they all put their faith in Jesus. So that's who he's talking to, those who have put their faith in Jesus. He said, so don't think anybody above anybody, because all of you were given the faith that you put in Jesus, so you're all on this level ground. Now, J. Frank Norris summed it up this way. He said, there's three ways of thinking. Overthinking, and God says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Underthinking, he says, let no man despise thee. So, you know, you don't get all meek and mild. And, uh, and, and, and woe is me. He said, proper thinking, though, is in the Scripture. Think soberly. God says, don't, don't think of yourself too much. Don't think of yourself too little. He said, truth is, think seriously about what I'm writing here. Live for me. So, verse 4, look at verse 4. For as, for as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. So he starts it out by saying, don't think of yourself above anybody else because he's, a, he's setting them up. He's saying, You're all, we're all on level ground. We all start with the same faith. Now, because we all have been given different responsibilities, God wants to use us in different ways. And 
And so he says, the way he describes it, see, we're, we have many members in one body. So like this church right here, and it's just like what he's writing to. He's writing to the church, and he said, you know, we have many members in this body. But now, if everybody in here decided they want to play piano tonight, we'd have a little bit of a problem. The bench is not that big. If everybody in here wanted to, to preach tonight, you'd have a problem. Uh, no, it, it just, we, there'd be nobody to listen. If we're all going to get up here and preach, there's nobody to listen. And, and the, there's really nobody to listen now, but the, <laughs> I just suddenly thought, what difference does that make? Okay. But so he said, we're all members, though, of this body. And we all have jobs to do. And so, uh, you know, one runs a bus route. And, and, and another, uh, uh, where, where'd it go? Where'd, where'd, man, I lost on somebody. Where? Okay, never mind. <laughs> man, I do good. I can't even keep them for service. The, um, I was going to compliment them, and they're gone. Uh, now, but we're, we're all members of this, this body. He says, but... We're not the same office. We don't all have the same responsibilities. We don't all have the same position because we can't. And this passage doesn't talk about it, but, you know, another passage does. I mean, we can't. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And so he says, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Now, what he's doing here, he continues this thought of the pride issue as he says to them, we're all one body. We're just different. No one is more or less valuable. We are all important to God, created by God to be and do just what he wanted us to be and do. And that's what, to me, it helps me that, you know, God didn't create me to be like every other preacher in the world. And, and I, I can't compare myself with them. And, and I, I kind of found myself in, in preaching and, and serving God when I realized I can't be what everybody else is. I, you know, there is a, a, some, some men are made to pastor thousands, and some men are made to go to the mission field, and some men are made to do it. That's not what God created me to do. And I got to be content at what God created me to be. And you need to be content with what God created you to be. And, and one of the, the most dangerous things that I would see with a young man is this, is he would, and I've seen this over and over again, and one man's, he's in my mind right now because he was, he was such a, a perfect example of this. He was the absolute epitome of the perfect assistant pastor. He, he had the gift of organization. We're going to talk about it in just a second. He had uh, incredible gifts uh, as a, an assistant pastor. But he kept seeing the assistant pastor position as simply a training ground to pastor. And he was so focused, I kept trying to tell him, look, you got an incredible ministry, and you've helped the church be, grow to, to levels that I, I don't think it ever would have grown if you hadn't been there. And this is what God created you to do. Don't step out of what God's created you to do. But he was so determined to go pastor, so he left this position where he was maybe one of the greatest assistant pastors in the nation. It wasn't the largest church, but it was a pretty good-sized church, and he was, in, he was really the catalyst behind the growth of that church. But he left it, and he went and pastored, and he didn't last six months. And after he got discouraged because he couldn't pastor, he couldn't, the people, honestly, they voted him out, and he quit the ministry, and he was out of the ministry for years and years. And he never ended up back as an assistant pastor again. He's a good guy, but he never ended up back as an assistant pastor again. 
because he wasn't content with what God created him to be. We get this worldly view in there that we got to climb the corporate ladder. God doesn't have a corporate ladder. We just do what he's called us to do. And so, now, at verse 5, God is allowing Paul to deal with the reality of the differences in man's abilities and talents. And so, we, we see that in verse, verses 4 and 5. So, we being many are, verse 5, one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. But at verse, at verse 5, we see this. But beginning in verse 6, he's going to deal with specifically how we're different. He's going to deal with the gifts of the Spirit, how everybody in the church has a different gift. And watch this now. Everybody has a specific gift. Now, you may have some, you may have learned some other things, and you may have grown in some areas, and and you may even think, well, man, maybe you have more than one gift, honestly. But I believe God gives everybody a gift. And I think it's wonderful if, as we go through this, we won't get through them all, and I don't because I don't want to really rush these at all. But these represent the seven basic gifts that man is given by God. But I think there are two primary truths from what we're about to read, and I'm gonna give you these two primary truths before we go into verse six. Number one, everyone has a gift from God by the grace of God. So when people have talents and abilities. Don't think highly of yourself. It was a gift from God. God gave it to you. No man has this gift because of himself, but it's just that, a gift of grace. And it's a gift from perfection to imperfection. And we got to remember that. Number two, the gift is, no gift is superior to another gift. They are all equally necessary for the work of God. So, you know, and I had to deal with this, and, and I apologize, and I, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because I, I'm not sure exactly why, but about, about five minutes before I started, I got this pounding headache, and so right now it, it's pounding. And so, um, but, uh, but years, years ago, I, I began to be the director of the, the military ministry. Now, you have to understand that our ministry is a bus route, okay? Now, my bus route averaged, during the fall, would average 50 or 60 people. We'd have, we had our highest day was 138. Uh, but in the spring, it might average 30. You know, in the summer, maybe 35. And you know what I had to deal with? I had to deal with every year, freshmen would come into college and become a bus captain and they would be running 100, 200, 300, 400. And I'm a staff member and been doing this for 5 and 10 and 15 years. And I'm running 30, 40, 50. And watch this. Everybody else's bus route, they are scattered as soon as they get there. So the truth is, that guy who's running 90, he's got 30 college kids as workers. He's counting three pregnant women on his bus. Uh, he's, call, he's counting the three cars that drove behind the bus because surely they're following him to church. You really don't know what he had. My bus route sat right in the middle of the auditorium. 
And not only did they sit in the middle of the auditorium where you could kind of maybe estimate, you know, by their sitting in the crowd. No, he's going to get them all up to stand up and introduce themselves. So the whole world can count every one of them. I can't count my workers in the number. I can't, I can't do anything. I mean, because the whole world sees exactly how many I got. Do you understand, when I first started out in the first few years of that thing, it beat me to death. Because here I am, this is what I'm called to do, have this little handful. While even freshmen are bringing more people to church than me. And let me help you, a whole lot of them made it clear to me that they did. I had one guy as a division leader one time, he came up to me and we were having battles at the base and we're just bringing a handful of sailors each week down, and, and, and I mean, the battles, you wouldn't even, I can't, no, no time to go into it, but it was intense, and, and uh, so to get anybody was a miracle, and so we would come down, and sometimes we'd have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys that all we'd have, and I had a division leader who was a college student, uh, but he was in a master's degree, a division leader there, and he came up to me one day, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, brother, I'm praying for you, and I'm a staff member, he's a college student, he said, brother, I'm praying for you, I said, well, thank you, I appreciate that, he said, I he said, uh, yes, it's pretty hard for you in there with, that, uh, with the ministry, you know. And I said, yeah. I said, man, pray for us. We really need some help. He said, he said I will. He said, I'll pray for you. He said, I know it's got to be tough when God's hand's not on your ministry. <laughs> That'll motivate you. Um, I even had one come up. He was a fellow staff member. He, he was a division leader, and he was a fellow staff member, and he came up to me one day, and he said, why don't you let one of us that will get the job done just take this thing and do it? It's a good thing I got saved. <laughs> because there was a day. <sighs> I wouldn't even have thought about it. Now, I had to learn, though, that God didn't call me to run a bus route. He called me to work with the military. And it didn't matter who was doing what. This is what God called me to do. And it was my responsibility to do what God called me to do. And you know what? It was my responsibility. To, it, God expected me to believe it was the greatest job anybody could do because it's what he called me to do. Now, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So the first gift, it says prophecy. During this time that this is written before and before, while the Bible is being written and completed for us, prophecy was by inspiration. All that we have is by the inspiration of God. And so when, when Paul is writing to the Romans, it's under the inspiration of God. And he writes that. And so uh, Old Testament prophets and John in the, in the New Testament and, the, and a couple of other areas, God actually, you know, lets them prophesy what we think of prophecy, prophesy in the future. And we see some prophecy of the future in the Old Testament, New Testament, more so in the Old Testament. But but it's by inspiration. Uh, we ha- what we have from the holy men of old that we read today was given to us by inspiration. 
As with John, this inspiration sometimes was prophetical. And as the Old Testament prophets, sometimes they, uh, they prophesied uh, things to come in their time. And sometimes it was to come much later. The Bible, though, is finished. It's written. Amen? It's written. Although we have those that call themselves prophets and, and we have religions that claim their leadership can speak ex cathedra or in the place of God. We have those that believe that. If you don't know who that is, that, that I'll explain to you afterwards. But, but uh, they believe that their leader speaks ex cathedra in the place of God. And, they, and there are those that call themselves prophets prophets because and they'll tell you they're 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 profess they're uh, prophesying of the future we don't have that the book's written the prophecy's given you say then what what is this prophet today today are prophets the preacher those with the gift of prophecy don't speak by inspiration they speak by illumination you see, God gives some the ability to, to go into Scripture and they see things that, honestly, others don't see. And what they see, the prophet, is he sees truth. Truthfully, the prophet sees everything sort of black and white. It's right or wrong. He sees that and he says, look, it says this. This is what it says. This is what we're going to do. That's the prophet. Now, Today are pre prophets, preachers, those with the gift of prophecy speak by illumination. They, according to their faith, have the gift that allows them to deliver truth that has been illuminated to them through Scripture. And the Scripture was given by inspiration, but now it's been illuminated to them through illumination. It's light shines upon it for them. A prophet today proclaims the truth and reveals error. The man who preaches, now not all preachers are prophets. They're not. Some of them effectively exhorters or they're, or they're teachers. But the prophet is one that gets up and says, this is what it says. And it says, okay, it says homosexuality is wrong. It's a sin. You say, okay, can we, can we negotiate on that? No. It's right and it's wrong. That's it. A prophet can often be very absolute about what he believes. This is what I believe. You're not shaking me from it. A weakness, though, of the prophet is to be judgmental or condemning of those who fail to live according to the Scripture. Now, this is something that when you recognize what your gift is, do you see things as absolute just black and white, right or wrong through Scripture? You don't have to be behind the pulpit to, to have that gift. But when you see that, I've got a daughter. That, that's the way she sees things. It's right or it's wrong. There's no in-between. There's really no gray area. Whatever Scripture says, boom, that's it. And she's that way. Now, I've had conversations with her. The, uh, the fact is, what you've got to be careful of is that you can become condemning. You can, you can become critical. You can, you can get really upset with people that don't see. You can get ups, upset with people who see grays. When you recognize that that's a possibility and that that's something inside you, if you have that gift, it's a very good thing because then you can work on 
having grace. You may not have the gift of mercy, but you can, you can add mercy into your life. And, and I'll be honest with you, this, this is who, my wife says it this way. She says, you have a strong sense of justice, okay? Because I believe things are right and wrong, and when people are mistreated or things are wrong, then I want to make it right, and, and, and that's, you wouldn't believe before I got into the ministry or even after I got into the ministry, how many times uh, my wife would have to endure the pain of me slamming on brakes and jumping out of the car to go stop something, even criminal, that's going on. And she's like, you're not a police officer anymore. You have no gun. You have no badge. What are you doing? And I would come back. I don't know what I'm doing. It just, I got to go. There's an injustice. There's wrong happening. I've got to stop it. Now, when you, when you have that inside of you, you've got to be careful because you'll get real frustrated real easy with people that don't have it inside of them. Can't they see that? Don't they know it's wrong? So what you have to do is you have to work on discretion. You have to work on being more full of grace. You have to work on being wonderful. (laughs) So you don't kill people and they don't hate you. And here's what some is, look, truth is going to offend some people no matter what you do. But my preacher taught me a long, long time ago, long time ago, that the truth may offend, but... I should not offend. And so, you don't know how hard I work. Some people get offended no matter how hard I work, but if they really knew how hard I was working and what I really want to say, they would really appreciate me. All right. Now, we're going to go through these, and in my time's about up, but the, the next one is ministry. And now ministry is really, it's to the term we'd use today as service, is ministering, how, you know, ministering to people is a gift of ministry, ministering to someone else. Um, the gift of ministry is service in various ways, and that's the very next verse, verse 7, um, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. It's a practical, and, and that wait on our ministering, the that wait term is a, is a term of serving, service. You know, we have several that are in our church that have, were or have been, you know, um, um, waiters, uh, waitresses. You know, they, that's what wait means, that serving uh, like that. It's a, <clears throat> it's a practical application. This ministry is a practical application of the Word of God to daily living. It's when we take the Word of God and we try to apply it to life serving people and bringing truth to them. It's demonstrating love by meeting practical needs of others. Demonstrating love by meeting practical needs of others. The person with a gift of ministry, ministering or service, is a person that enjoys doing physical work, helping others, or the church, or both. The weakness, now, now, now okay, I, I just got to say this. The, okay, anybody know anybody like that? They just, they love to serve. They love to work. They love to do for somebody. Anybody know anybody like that? 
Okay. Go ahead. It's, I know. <laughs> You're thinking of me, right? No, I'm thinking, of course, the one I'm closest to, I'm thinking of those two ladies right there. They're both the same way. They love to serve. They love to work. They love to help. You know, I, I used to love come on vacation, go to Anna's house because we go there. My mom and dad lived not far away, and I love to go eat her, you know, go to mama's and, you know, eat biscuits and, you know, ride four-wheeler and ride horses and things like that. But I love to come relax at Anna's house. You know why? Because I could come into the house, sit down in a recliner, and I didn't have to get up for the next three days. <laughs> because she's going to come to me, Robert, would you like something to drink? Yeah. Robert, would you like something to eat? <laughs> yeah. And I just sit there. And then she comes, gets my plate and my stuff and takes it back. Would you like some more? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, it was great. I love you, Anna. She doesn't do it anymore. But the, uh, no, no, you're good. But that's, that's what the servant is. A servant wants to, to meet the needs of other people. And my time's all up, and I couldn't get into this very much, so... We'll pick up here and start talking about spiritual gifts next week because it's 8.05 and don't want to go any longer. And take, But I, uh, it, it, this is, to me, this is fun stuff because it really is helpful. If we see who we are, we'll see our weakness. And, and let me just, I'll throw this. The weakness of this person, listen to this now. I want my wife to hear this. The weakness of this person is that they can overload themselves. And they need somebody in authority, like a husband maybe, who they will submit to that will protect them from overloading. Mona? Because they will. They'll get overloaded because they want to serve everybody. And there's some people that find out they want to, and I don't talk to this church, but there's some people that will find out that servant, they'll find out who they are, and they will love to go to them for everything. And overload them. Joe Beth will tell you, over the years, she will add on responsibility. And add on responsibility. And add on doing this thing because somebody needs help. And add on and add on. And over our married life, I'd have to stop her periodically and say, okay, time out. Sit down. We're going to list all the things that you're doing. And we're going to eliminate some of them. We're going to prioritize and some of them are going now. And she'd go, uh... I can't stop. I've got to. No. They're gone. Right? Amen. Are you happy okay? Now, folks, this is, this is why we need to know what our gift is and also what the strength is and what the weakness is because that protects us and it allows the servant to be willing to let someone come in authority and say, let me protect you. Here's where you got to say no. But if you don't say no, I'm going to say no for you. Does that understand? All right, Brother Allen, would you pray for us? And pray for me especially because i got to go home tonight. So. Lord, thank you for the night. Lord, thank you for the time of prayer for one another. Lord, many folks that are traveling and healing and others uh, in families that are difficult times. And Lord, I pray that all those needs as, as have been spoken tonight. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy that you show us. Lord, I pray.
Lord with us as we go home. In Jesus' name, amen.